Are you a musician interested in improving your performance? Welcome to Notes on Jazz. I'm your host, Keith Davis. If you want to learn more about jazz improvisation, harmony, and composition, or just want to improve your piano skills, this is the place for you. We'll be hosting interviews with fellow musicians, offering tips and techniques on study and practice, and lots of other cool stuff. Whatever instrument you play, or if you're a vocalist, you will find something helpful and interesting here. So come hang out with us at Notes on Jazz. All right, welcome to Notes on Jazz. I'm Keith Davis. I'm happy to welcome Greg Tardy, a great saxophonist, composer, recording artist. Um, he lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, he's played with a lot of great people, and uh, I'm happy to have him visiting us here on Notes on Jazz. So, hi, Greg. How are you? I'm doing great, Keith. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for doing it. I appreciate it a lot. Um, we haven't actually met in person yet, but we've had several conversations on the phone, and uh, it's not too far from where I live to where you live. One of these days, we'll hope we can play some music together. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started this podcast not aimed kind of at young younger people that are learning about jazz, but it's actually for everybody that likes music, that likes jazz, and uh, and that's why I wanted to talk to people like yourself that are, you know, well-known in this, in this world of jazz and just find out some about your background and about your, your current projects. We'll get to some of all that, I hope, during this. Okay, but maybe yeah. we could start off by just giving me a little bit about your background. Like, where did you have okay. music? Okay, well, the, the short version of this is that I'm from New Orleans originally, mm -hmm. um, but I've lived all over the place because my dad's uh, profession moved us around a lot. And, um, but I'd say that my, my parents were both opera singers oh, and, wow. uh, my mom eventually went to jazz, but that's, um, but much later. And, uh, I'm the youngest of three, uh, kids and, um, both my brother and my sister ahead of me played, uh, musical instruments. And so it was just natural for me to join in. So my instrument was clarinet. So I, um, I, uh, once I, became and uh, went to middle school, high school, it became very apparent to me that I wanted to pursue a, a career in classical clarinet. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so that was my main focus. And by that time I was living in Milwaukee and, uh, but every now and then I would get drafted to play the saxophone. I, uh, it was, uh, it was one of those things where a band director gave me a saxophone and said, Hey, we need a, a fourth horn part on this uh, thing. Uh, so can you, uh, uh, here's a fingering chart, um, learn this chart and, and play with it. So that was basically how that started. And, okay. and it was something I just did for fun. It was just something I did for fun. But when I, um, when I went to college, um, I was at a small school called Carroll College in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And my band director um, at, at, the, at the time, Robert Halseth, he basically said, hey, I got a gig for you. And then he he recommended me for this polka band. And, uh, and so, so I started, you know, it was, it was fun. I did that for a summer and it was just kind of cool, but um, got to see Milwaukee Brewers games for, for, for free and got a little bit of money and a little bit of food. So, uh, but then um, after that, then I got recommended for a, uh, a funk fusion band called the crew that used to play around the Milwaukee area. And um that band was starting to get a little popular um, around the area. And so it was one of those things where I, I need to actually start practicing. And uh, that's when I first started seriously practicing the saxophone. And then 
eventually my brother, um, who was studying with uh, David Hazeltine at the time, great jazz pianist. Um, he kept on telling me, you need to check out some jazz, you need to check out some jazz. And he turned me on to this guy, John Coltrane. And and that's, uh, once I heard him, I'm like, wow. Yeah. You know? And then that's when everything took off. That's when I got serious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Coltrane had that effect on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I heard of Love Supreme, I was just like, like, wow, what is this, man? That's just amazing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great story. So, about how about how old were you when you were when you started playing professionally, like playing for the polka band or playing for the the funk band? The polka band that was, uh, I believe, that was the summer after my freshman year, so that was nineteen. Um, but then I started playing with uh, maybe I was twenty actually. Yeah, maybe I was twenty. Um, but then I started playing with the with the fusion band the fall after that. Yeah, I, I believe that's what it was. It was uh, it was the summer after. No, okay, okay. No, I was nineteen, and then it was like a year after that I got recommended for the fusion band. So I was twenty at the so nineteen twenty. Uh, yeah, and prior to that, you didn't have any training or playing any kind of jazz or improvisational music. No, I mean, uh, my brother and I we used to get together and jam. I mean, he was uh, he was a a trumpeter he he still plays not 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 uh not professionally but uh but we used to just do i mean we both um were very blessed to have good ears and so we used to just have fun and try to play songs off the tv yeah tv theme songs and see who could get them and and um just for fun and um and and we just kind of jam around together at a certain point i don't know where it came from maybe my uh maybe we kind of borrowed it uh, from my uh, from my band director in, in high school, but somehow we obtained uh, maybe my brother got it. I don't know, but it was uh, this. It was like the Jamie Abersole Volume yeah. One uh, LP that tells you how long ago it was ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just was there in the house. So when I started started getting serious, um, then I had this. Uh, I had this uh, record, and I, I would just jam along with it. I didn't have. Uh, I didn't have uh lead sheets to anything just a record right nice. and um and um and so i just just practiced jamming along with that and and um and you know my brother would do that too but but we're just more or less doing it by ear we didn't know what any of that stuff was so okay. right um, so when did, when did you start actually studying and finding out about all that but the but the more technical aspects of it well shortly after i um after i started getting uh serious with train I first took um, I took some private lessons with a local saxophonist, uh, local legend uh, in Milwaukee named Berkeley Fudge, and uh, yeah, yeah, and um, and um, I took like maybe two or three lessons from him. Uh, I, I think like yeah, two or three lessons. The stuff he was telling me was way over my head, but I took a lot of notes. I took yeah. a lot, of notes. and um, and um, then I took uh, I took a semester with David Hazeltine. Oh, nice. uh, and um and and then he he broke down the, the the basic uh aspects of bebop and so i was able to take what i learned from uh berkeley fudge and mix it with the stuff that i got from david hazeltine and that pretty much uh that pretty much set me up i uh it, it was everything i really needed to know in order to really really get started wow. and um then eventually flash ahead a couple of years 
I moved back to New Orleans. Um, I attempted to go back to school um, at the University of New Orleans. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a, a, a class uh, with, uh, with Ellis Marcellus. And um, I had some other stuff. Quite frankly, at that particular point, um, I was very poor. I was very poor and I wasn't in class a whole lot. I was mostly on the street trying to make money to eat that day. Um, so it was, unfortunately, I think I could have gotten a lot more out of that experience. Um, um, you know, uh, you know, I was supposed to be taking lessons with Victor Goins, you know, he was teaching there. I think I mean, we got maybe one lesson or yeah, maybe one lesson. That was it for the whole semester. Um, but it's, uh, but that, that uh, he pointed me in the right direction as well. So it was kind of, um, um, so, but, but I'd say more or less, I'm more of a self-taught player. I consider myself to be, you know, with the foundation of the stuff that I had gotten from all the above, uh, I'd say that the, the bulk of it, I was self-taught. And, um, and then as I became uh, more, uh, as I started to play with cats, um, then I would just start asking a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, you know, like, you know, like, you know, I'd be up there playing with Joe Lovano and I'm like, Hey man, how do you get such a big sound? You know? And, and, uh, you know, or, or people like that are, are playing with Dewey Redman and he showed me some stuff about like how he did his reads and, and Mark Turner and I used to play together a whole lot. And obviously he's a very, very high level, um, yeah, uh, technical, uh, and, and always a uh, high level player. And so I used to, bug him all the time trying to pick his brain about how he did this and how he did that and, right. and uh, other other great young players that uh some of which that uh, uh young and old players that uh some of which you probably never heard of um but uh but you know we, we share information and so now as a as an educator uh the bulk of uh yeah this, this guy named terry dean right he's a he was a young young player he was a, an ex uh um, a former student of Pat LaBarbera oh, and, uh, and, uh, and he was extremely high level. Uh, unfortunately he passed away very young, but, but, uh, but, uh, he, uh, he was, uh, like a young genius and, and, uh, and we used to hang out. Uh, he actually was a horn repairman in New York. He was like one of these genius guys that could just, yeah. um, that was, uh, he could just figure out anything and just be really good. at. So he started, uh, he started repairing horns. And he became like a really sought after uh, saxophone repairman in New York and um, cast like Josh Redman and Seamus Blake and, and um, Mike Brecker and people were going to him for a minute. Yeah. And, um, and before he, he moved away to, to back to Canada where he came from. But but he used to uh, he used to give me advice all the time. And uh, so, I, you know, I go and get my horn fixed and and he'd be like. You know, well, you know, you really should change your mouthpiece and change this, or you really should change your armature to blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. and he was such a great player that I would listen to him. And so that's where I've gotten a lot of stuff from just these informal. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I like to say I learned everything I know from bass players. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, as a piano player, you play with bass players, and they tell you, give you pants. I'll try to play in this chord there instead, or do this, or ask yeah. What, what is that? What did you do there? You know. And, I mean, that's, yeah. but so in that conversation, that was great. But my question is, how did you get from trying to survive on the street to playing with Joe Lovano and Mark Turner? 
That's what I'm. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, what happened is that um, Nicholas Payton and I used to play a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, we uh, we'd get together. Uh, not not just Nicholas. There was a really really great crop of young players down there. I mean, like you know, Bryce Winston was down there. Wanted up being in Terrence Blanchard's band for um, many years, and and uh, Chris Thomas was in. Um, um, Josh Redman's band, Brian Blade was down there. Obviously, you know about him, and 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 there were like a whole bunch. Peter Martin was down there. Eric Rivas, who's um, Branford's bassist to this day. Um, Neil Kane, who's uh, Harry Connick Jr.'s bassist, and of course uh, various members of the Marsalis clan. You know, Jason and Delphiel. Um, Wessel Anderson was in Baton Rouge, and and uh, he would come down and play. All the time. So basically, it was all the, I can go on. There are so many of these these uh, incredible young players, that, and and some of them went on to be very very famous. But uh, but we used to get together at uh, places like Cafe Brazil and um, um, other uh, uh, other uh, Cafe Istanbul. These places right along Frenchman Street in New Orleans, and we just play for tips. And um, and so that uh, as well as some gigs at Snug Harbor, which is famous jazz club down there but uh nicholas much to my surprise he uh he he got the gig with uh well it wasn't a surprise he got the gig with elvin but much to my surprise he actually recommended me for it once robbie coltrane left and um and so it was kind of uh you know so basically i kind of went from playing on the street and i was i was playing with some second line groups as well the 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 early rendition of the 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 soul rebels brass band stuff like that but um, but I went from playing on the street to all of a sudden touring around the world with Elvin like, like, like oh, yeah. overnight, That's and it was and yeah. which was uh which was really really incredible because he was uh um he was such a hero of uh, still is such a hero of mine yeah, sure, and um and he was very gracious to me because I didn't feel like I was anywhere near ready for that gig, um but but um uh, but he was uh but he you know served as a mentor to me and. And uh, he would get on me about things I needed to work on, things like that. And then I, and over the next couple of years, I was in the band. Um, I improved a whole lot. And so then I finally moved to New York City. Um, I finally, I finally, uh, I moved to New York City, and and um, and then I started getting in other bands. Uh, uh, first, it was a Jason Linder big band, and then it led to uh, eventually I was playing with Tom Harrell um and and uh, did some gigs with steve coleman um other things and eventually i i um i, I was blessed to do a a, a cd with uh, the impulse label uh, nice. of my own and so it just it all kind of just went from there yeah nice so that was that your first rec your first uh, recording under your own name actually i did one that's really hard to find down mm -hmm. in new orleans um Milton Baptiste, he was this, uh, he was a, a brass, uh, 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 one of the, the New Orleans brass band, uh, uh, leaders. And he was a, a producer and, uh, and he basically asked me if I wanted to do a, a CD and I'm like, yeah, sure. Why, why not? You know, I thought it was going to be the only one I'd ever do. And, um, it's called crazy love, but it's really, really hard to find. And yeah, it's, it on your I, yeah. yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, I'd say that, I mean, I was really green. I'm not too crazy about my playing on there, but but it's a good documentation as, as sure. far as um, my band was uh, Nicholas Payton uh, on trumpet, um, uh, Peter Martin on piano, 
Um, and both of them were 19, I think, at the time. And uh, Eric Rivas, who was in his mid-20s, he was on, on bass. Brian Blade was on drums, and I think he was only like 19 or something like that. And so, at, you know, while I was, my mother, um, who by then was a jazz uh, vocalist, she sang um, on a song and Milton played on a song. So it was it was, it was actually a, a good documentation of yeah, yeah. just seeing where all those guys were at that time. And I guess if you want to hear me when I'm getting it together, um, then that's that's uh, good. But 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 I'd say most people know the serendipity. That's my impulse project as being my first um that's the first one that everyone actually heard so yeah yeah nice yeah i have a couple of your cds in there i think they're great so oh, thank you more. actually i was what, looking at some of your stuff on uh, just on your gallery last night you were playing somewhere in atlanta churchill grounds that's my hometown oh, yeah and uh, oh yeah yeah not some of your videos and some great stuff i recommend it uh, your website is called gregtardy.com is that correct uh, gregtardy yeah dot com right yeah, so yeah yeah let's, we'll, we'll say it again and i'll put it in the notes to the podcast as well yeah so how did you get from uh from from playing in all these bands and touring doing all this touring to teaching how did you get into teaching and how did you end up in knoxville oh that's kind of um um well the short version of it is i um i was invited to come down and do a performance with the knoxville jazz orchestra yeah. um that's uh, a big band here in knoxville it's a very very good uh big band that brings in all kinds of uh, uh well-known uh phenomenal artists you know you know john clayton's been here multiple times regina carter um wycliffe gordon jeff keezer blah, blah, black and go on um and and so basically i was invited to come down and play and and I just really had a good vibe from the I had a good vibe from the city. And I, I expressed that to Vance Thompson, who's the, the leader of the Knoxville, uh, Knoxville Jazz Orchestra. And he um, he put me in touch with Mark Bowling, who was the area coordinator at the time and uh, of the jazz program. And uh, we had conversations about me possibly coming down and, and teaching. But then uh, the thing that wound up happening is that I, we all kind of, um, I don't know, I, uh, uh, I think they didn't have the funding for it at the time. And then I decided to, um, it's a very long story, but I decided to pursue, um, I, I've got a spiritual journey and, uh, and, and I, I basically left um, the scene for about four years to work in a mega church in, in uh, New York. And, um, and so I was off the scene and, but then, um, what wound up happening is I started developing some, um, carpal tunnel issues in my hands and, um, they were very, very problematic, problematic. And I had to step down from that position. Um, and it was, uh, but the, the very day I, I had the phone in front of me and I'm, um, essentially, uh, about to call, um, the, music director at the church to let him know that I was stepping down and the phone rings, I pick it up and it's Mark Bowling. And yeah. he's like, Hey, you wouldn't still be interested in that job. Would you be uh, at the school? And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. That's great. Man. <laughs> that's like, uh, that's like, you know, that I can only describe that as being like an act of God. So, so I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm, I guess I'm moving to Knoxville. And uh, so that was after not speaking with him for about four years. And um, and uh, and 
And so I've been here for the last 12 years and thankfully all my hands are all good. I'm good. playing, scoring, writing yeah. music. Playing great, man. <laughs> oh, praise God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, great, man. So um, I want to come back to, to ask you about what you called your spiritual journey. I'd like to come and talk about that a little bit more. But at first, while we're on this topic of teaching, I'd like to ask you, um, how, how do you approach teaching? Like, how do you, how do you take a young player? What, do you, what kind of guidance do you give to young players? And I'd like you to speak to that in reference to what, what, what we're doing here. Like, what, like if, I asked, if I had a young player that was listening to this podcast, what would you like to say to that person? Like, what would you recommend to them? You know? Well, there are a lot of things that I've learned the hard way. Um, like I said, I had, uh, um, you know, since I didn't learn, uh, the saxophone under a teacher and I didn't, um, and I, and I basically mostly self taught, um, on the, you know, as far as jazz goes. And there are some things I, I, um, I could always do naturally. It's, uh, like I said, my, my, uh, um, my family, we, uh, like everyone in my family, we all have good ears, um, you know, you know, you know, perfect pitch or really good relative pitch and stuff like that. So, so there are a lot of things that, uh, that I could just do naturally. Right. And, um, but then there was, uh, um, a certain musical intuition thing, um, that I had to try to figure out, like, how do I teach other people to do what I just do naturally. And that's been like a, something that I'm constantly, even to this day, um, trying to figure out uh, better ways to try to break down. But I'd say that the, the first thing is make sure uh, for a young saxophonist, um, make sure that you have a good working instrument. Um, make sure you have a, a, a good working instrument because it, it can be really, really disheartening when you're trying to learn on an instrument that's broken down. And I know this sounds like a funny thing to start with, but it really uh, it's because one of the reasons why it took me so long to play the saxophone, because, you know, when I used to go and and pick up the saxophone and play with the with the with the, the groups um, down and uh, uh, I mean, up and up and uh, when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, the instruments, a lot of instruments were in disrepair. And so I go and I pick up a saxophone and it wasn't fun to me because it's like notes wouldn't be coming out and stuff. So the minute I got done doing what I was supposed to do, that thing went back in the case. And I'm like, I'm back in the clarinet. And I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in uh, uh, my, when I was in college, my first year in college, when I was in that stage band, I remember that uh, the, the lead alto player, uh, this guy, he's a lawyer now, I mean, Ted Berthel, he, um, he, um, he got all excited because he's like, hey, you've got a Mark Six. That's like the best saxophone in here. And uh, I mean, and I'm like, and, and and so I'm playing it and I could barely play the thing. And I'm just like, well, I mean, if this is like the best saxophone in here and I sound like this, I must really stink. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, like I, I'll, I'll never be a good saxophonist. But the, the good thing is that I, I finally did um, obtain. I mean, obviously it's a Mark Six. I'm sure the horn was absolutely killing. Now I know it probably had some rip pads and stuff. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and uh, so, um, but then back, even back when I was, uh, when I was playing with Elvin, right. Keep in mind that I was very, very poor at the time. Uh, my first uh, year out with Elvin, I had to, I had basically, I'd take my saxophone and I'd take wads of toilet paper and wet them and put them under my pads. So my pads would swell up 
enough so I could play the thing. And that's that's how it was. When it was like really, really like it was like a real struggle just to, to get yeah. the thing to, to to do what I wanted to wanted it to do. And then then I then I went to uh, one time we were playing in New York City and I went to uh, I believe it was Perry Ritter's shop. And uh, and something happened. I just needed a little bit of work done or actually I need a lot of work done. And I didn't realize it. But he he fixed some things. And then all of a sudden I'm like playing. I'm like, wow, man, I feel like I just improved like 10 years. Yeah. And then and, and and so now I learned from that. I learned that that uh, a lot of the, 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 the things that we have problems with on an instrument, a lot of it comes down to the maintenance of the instrument. And so if I would have gotten on that sooner. Uh, my playing would have progressed much, much faster uh, and much earlier. Yeah, maybe, um, you know, but maybe, maybe the struggles that you went to to produce the sound that you were getting and and find out all that stuff. Maybe because you had to struggle so hard at it, maybe that got you to the point where when you did get a good instrument, it was just easier to 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 let all that stuff out. You know, I mean, that's another. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know, but but to this day, I'm really fanatical about my instrument. I've got like a whole like workshop in my in my my practice space where i've got a leak light and i've got all these tools and stuff and i i do a lot of uh maintenance myself when i have anytime i mean now uh, i mean i've got a really really phenomenal repairman um ken beeson who's in Asheville, uh north carolina he's like really really like world class and so um if i've got any if i've got anything major i go to him but you know, I'm always like doing little things uh, to, to tweak things if things go out, you know, so I don't have to make that journey uh, if anything goes wrong. Um, yeah, I finally got Steinway a few years ago, man. After all these years of you know having you know sort of subpar instruments, I finally got it. It's an old one, but I got it fixed up. It's from 1918, but I got it really you know rebuilt and fixed up. And yeah, it's, you know, what a pleasure to have a nice instrument to play. You know. Yeah, yeah, but I would say that's the first thing. And as far as what I would tell a young player, and then after that, then uh, then we really have to get down to fundamentals. Fundamentals about uh, about uh, uh, just groove and swing. Yeah. Um, I think that that's just very very overlooked. And so, and a lot of people will might think of that and say, "Well, that's just like some basic stuff. We'll just kind of fluff over that." But I'm really really adamant about that. Yeah. Um, really really um, looking at the different ways that people approach swing. Um, you look at Stanley Turrentine, he approached swing different than say Freddie Hubbard. Um, and, and, uh, who like, you know, like, the, you know, like they, they all had uh different, you know, Wenton Marsalis, has, you know, you know, it's like basically as you study all these different players and, and check out their different approaches to, uh, to swing, um, then it gives you kind of an arsenal of approaches. And you want to think about like, if you also want to, uh, think about it as far as, uh, uh, are we, you know, about uh, how do we uh, lock up with quarter note? How is our eighth note feel? Um, uh, how does how does that help our swing? How do off beats uh, help our swing? How do we swing when we're doing sixteenth uh, notes? How do we swing when we're when we're playing slow tempos as opposed to up tempos? And all that stuff is really really important. I mean, I think it's it's. Uh, Obviously, we have to play our harmony right. We have to do all of our, uh, you know, um, study rhythm, harmony, melody. But but a lot of people really, really overlook like the groove aspect of really trying to make the music feel good. And right. and the thing I found is that if you can make the music feel good, 
then your audience will forgive you for a whole lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I tell my students this all the time, man. You can know every note in the world and every scale and every chord, and you can be have all these chops and everything. But if your playing doesn't feel good, other musicians yeah. don't want to play with you, first of all, you know? And yeah. That's what you want is for other musicians to want to play with you. So I'm always, same thing you said, I'm always trying to get them to work on their feel. And that's, yeah. I got, I'm not a drummer, but I got a drum set here. When my students come over, I play with them just to show them what it feels like to play with a with a swing feel, you know, and I, I tell them the same thing you said, and I think it's important to be able to play some groove music and just to, just to swing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's important, man. So I got a question for you as a teacher myself. One thing that I, that I find interesting is like, I teach at a university too. I'm just an adjunct, but I teach at a private lessons at a university and my students are usually classical pianists, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a challenge getting them to get a feel for playing jazz and part of it is just the the phrasing that's involved, you know. So how do you yeah. approach teaching students about phrasing? That's a real trick for me. Well, you see, that whole thing from going from classical to jazz, I can relate to that because that's what I did. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and the thing that uh, I had to really learn is that there are a lot of things that are considered to be um, really unmusical in classical music that are like ultra hip. And yeah. um, and jazz. And first, there's something. Excuse me. Even necessary, not just hip, but necessary. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there's some things that are considered to be super, super hip that um, that um, that uh, uh, a lot of classical players uh, will be like, oh no, 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 never, 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 never. And so it's kind of like you have uh, kind of have to look at it like uh, you can learn a harmony, you can learn, you can transcribe and learn some of the. Uh, you know, some licks and stuff like that but but you're always going to sound like you're from a different country if you don't really learn the nuance if you don't really learn how to groove how to swing um it's kind of like a, if you have uh, someone from like say like uh um i'll just pick a country a, a country like like uh bulgaria or something like that i don't, I don't care. um so you have someone from bulgaria and and uh, and they learn English, right? But they're, they're first generation, but they don't really learn accent. And you can tell like who's first generation, but then they have kids that have maybe lived here all their life, and they speak English with the same nuance and stuff that that uh, that we do here in, in America. Sure. And uh, and you can tell which one has lived here all their life and which one is actually from somewhere else. And um, of course, that can apply to any country. I just sure, pick sure. Bulgaria, but it's uh, but it's by the same way. Um, if a classical person goes from classical to jazz, um, they have to really commit themselves to learning the nuance and not just learning the language and, yeah. and not just learn about it, but really commit themselves to it. And, and, and here's the thing, right? Uh, all right. You take someone like Tom Holland, for instance, you know, like uh, playing Spider-Man. You know, I saw I saw that I saw that uh, uh, I saw that, that first movie and I had no idea whatsoever that he was not an American. Because he spoke, because because his his uh, his American accent is so uh, is so authentic sounding, and um, and and the first uh, interview I saw with him, and he's speaking with his British accent and stuff. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> oh, I didn't know. And so yeah, it's yeah. kind of like it's it's kind of like the same thing with jazz. If if you if you uh, uh, if you're gonna you know you can be a great classical player, 
And but then once you start speaking jazz and you got to you got to like speak the nuance too. I mean, like uh, and be able to get gritty and be able to get and, and be able to get get ugly when you need to be and stuff like that. And, and a lot of people, they won't they don't want to do that. I know like at first when I was uh, first starting off on class, uh, uh, going from classical to jazz, I didn't want to learn all that because I thought it was going to ruin my classical chops. But, but now when I have to play classical, it all comes back. It's like riding a bike. So it's kind of, um, I, and Winter Marcellus is a great example of that, how he plays both so beautifully and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, other examples I could cite um, where they, um, it, it really is about, um, it really is about being authentic to whatever genre you're going to play. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to try to be authentic, then maybe just stick with whatever your first lang- musical language is. So. Yeah, it really is like a language, like learning a language, learning the nuances. Mm-hmm. And I always tell my students, first thing is you got to listen to this. If you want to learn to play this music, you got to listen to it. I mean, if you, how are you going to learn this music if you can't, if you don't listen to it, you know? Exactly. You got to find some people that you like and listen to them a lot, you know? And yeah, yeah. Feel what they're doing how are they it's like like you said it's like a language that's the language you're trying to learn so you got to hear it you know you got to get it in your head yeah exactly exactly and then you got to at some point you got to play with other people because this music is about playing with other people too right it's not yep. just by yourself and, you know yeah i forget i do all this i play piano so i can play by myself but it's but i still play by myself as if i'm playing with other people you know? yeah 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 but that, i mean that's that that really was kind of like the I, I forgot to mention, like when I when I moved down to New Orleans, that's when um, I noticed that a lot of these uh, uh, cats that turn into these, uh, uh, well, a lot of them were phenomenal already. But I saw some other people coming on there that that started off okay, but over a very very quick time period became like just amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I found that a common ingredient was really a commitment to really doing a lot of listening do a lot of transcription that is learning on your instrument and playing together as much as, as possible. And it was, uh, of course, learning your theory, um, you know, learning your theory and, and, and other aspects, but those are kind of like the, that was like a common ingredient among a lot of the players that I saw get to be really, really great players in a very short period of time. And so that's how I approach when I teach. Um, I, I probably, I try to draw from that, I try to draw from all the different experiences, um, um, but but that's but that's the core of where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. That's great. That's very helpful and interesting. You know, yeah. yeah. So I'd like to know more about um, your your current projects. I know you're playing a thing with Bill Frizzell, and uh, that must be yeah cool to do. And- yeah, um, we have a quartet uh, project that's coming out. Um, it's coming out. Uh, in a couple of weeks or maybe a, a week or two really. And it's, uh, um, it's, uh, uh, Jonathan Blake and, and um, Daryl Clayton, uh, Bill and myself, and it's on the blue note label. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I feel, I feel good about it. I feel yeah. good about it. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. excuse me. I'm forward to hearing that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then at the same time, I have a, a, a a CD on the WJ3 uh, record label, and uh, that the the name of the CD is called Sufficient Grace, and it just came out like maybe uh, under a month ago, and that that features 
uh, obviously myself, Marcus Printup, great Marcus Printup. Yeah, on yeah, Marcus. Yeah, yeah. Marcus, yeah. yeah, and then uh, Keith Brown, who's the son of Donald Brown, phenomenal pianist. Uh, Sean Conley, who people that are familiar with my music know that he's on probably about 80% of my projects. Uh, we've been doing stuff together for pretty much since 98. Uh, and then and then the great Willie Jones III on drums, uh, who's also the producer. And so um, it's uh, it's all original compositions that are more or less in a, uh, a little bit more of a swinging, uh, uh, more, of a, more of a swing uh, or more bebop swing uh, vibe. Cool. Uh, all or, your original music uh, yeah it's all yeah so all, uh, original music and um and i wrote at the time i i, I basically was doing two projects at the same time mm-hmm. um and one of them i wanted to be a little bit more traditional um that's the a little bit more swinging that's the that's this bro um um project and then i also was working on a on a tentet uh composition through composed composition it's a suite that's based off of uh of the classic novel uh the pilgrim's progress by john bunyan yeah. and it's uh and it's uh that's it's uh tentet's got like strings and 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 it's uh uh trumpet trombone uh uh i'm playing uh uh pretty much evenly the, the saxophone and clarinet and uh, I've got a bass clarinetist in there, um, piano, bass, drums. Am I missing anything? Oh yeah, flautist too. Really great flautist. And um, and so that's uh, some very very through composed music. We did. Uh, I, I was able to do that through a South Arts grant. Um, and that's uh, and so that uh, we premiered that last. Uh, uh, we premiered it in March. And um, and so that's uh, we did uh, uh, two major shows. We had a big residency, and and uh, and so now at this point, I'm going to be looking for funding to try to record it, um, to try to record it, or 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 if they, I don't know if there's a, a label that we want to pick it up. I, I don't know. It's going to be an expensive project because yeah, yeah. ten people, um, yeah, ten, you know. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, that, that's a little bit more difficult. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm hoping to have that recorded um, within the next year, if not sooner. And uh, that's my, that's my baby. I really, really, uh, I feel very, very good about that project. So. Good, man. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you got a lot going on. That's great, man. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's just very, very feel very, very blessed. I mean, like uh it's 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 been a very fruitful period. Um I'm actually about to go in the studio. Um I'm about to go in the studio to record my first all clarinet project. Oh nice, okay. <laughs> and it's a yeah, little excuse me? What's that about? Like what what's the music like? It's uh a lot of originals. Um and uh there's a let's try to turn this mic up a little bit here yeah okay i'll be here you better know okay um there's a lot of originals and it's uh right uh, i i've got a um i've got a i've got a good band it's it's uh, uh we're gonna have uh tabor gable on piano uh alvesta garnett on drums matthew parish on, on bass 
and uh, Re Regina Carter will be guesting on on some on some uh, on some of the songs. And so it's uh, so it's it's um, I'm really looking. For, I'm preparing for it right now, and um, and and uh, and that's uh, it's a little scary going in there with uh, sure. like without the big horn, but it's uh, but I'm. I'm ready to jump in. I've been wanting to do this for years, so it's uh, really looking forward to. Uh, I'm really looking forward. To, uh, That's cool, man. Well, I want to. I want to ask you something in particular. Uh, the first time I became aware of you was on a couple of Andrew Hill records that I really love. One's called Timelines, and the other one I can't remember the name of right now. I'm forgetting, but but uh, about the same time, and. Uh, I was just blown away, man. Especially timelines is one of my favorite recordings, man. I think it's just it's just. It's I'm gonna ask you about that experience about playing and recording with Andrew Hill. Yeah, Andrew, uh, that was a very special um, experience uh, um, playing with him, getting to know him, um, uh, getting mentored by him, yeah. and um, and he um, unfortunately, I mean, we, we I mean, we played on and off for about eight years, so that was probably my longest uh one of my longest i'll say because of my my uh, uh my, one of my longest uh associations musical um uh, associations and it's uh um uh, which got cut off uh cut short when he died of, of cancer um fortunately but it's uh but I'd, I'd say that 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 particular experience as well as my experience playing in Dave Douglas's various bands and um and um some um I'd say that they really opened me up a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I played with them, I would consider myself to be more of a, a straight ahead player. I, I also I mean there are some other experiences too. Some I did some things for Rashid Ali and and um awesome Ooh. some uh, a couple of things with Andrew Surreal, uh, a great drummer named Susie Ibera and um and um some others but but i'd say that my 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 association association with dave douglas and with uh andrew hill really opened me up um both as far as my playing goes and as far as uh compositionally my approach to uh uh composition and uh, but they uh, but dave and andrew obviously were coming from different places and so yeah. they uh so it's uh and so it was just kind of uh uh, very, very bad, different experiences. But uh, but I'd say to to play with uh, Andrew uh, was also like uh, we had a very, very good, very, very good friendship, and uh, I miss him very, very much. Um, and it's uh, and it's just and it's just um, and just to really, really get into his head and the whole creative process. It's just like very. Uh, it was very deep. It was very, very deep. Yeah, one of these days I want to talk with you in more detail about all of that because I'm I'm interested in that. Uh, I mean, I, I I just listened to his music and I think, wow, it's so beautiful, man. But what was going on in the studio, like when he was recording those records? You know, in fact, I had a brief conversation with um, John A. Bear. Is that how you say yeah, his name? I yeah, just text or email and back and forth. And I said, man, did he count them off? Did he count those tunes off or did he just like start playing? Or He said, no, everything was written out and we counted everything off. But it was just the approach was just so free, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, basically our charts were just more or less uh, launching pads for yeah. improv. We could play inside of it. We could play outside of it. 
uh, we can, um, it was, it was a very, um, you know, uh, John Emac and, and before that, uh, when Nashi Waits was in the band and just Charles Tolliver, it's like, we, we, uh, it's like, there were a lot of things that were just unspoken, right? Mm-hmm. There were just things that we both, we all just kind of felt musically. And, um, and then Andrew, um, his, he would, uh, he would never want things to get too um, set a certain way. And right when something would start to get set, then he would change something up. Um, because uh, he, he was surprised. It's like, for instance, there's one song on, on the project that we had always done super high energy burnout type of thing. And so we go in the studio and I can't remember the name of the song, but uh, we went in the studio and then he basically said, okay, today we're going to do this as a ballad. Like that. No preparation. (laughs) Just went in like that. And just like, wow. Okay. (laughs) But he would do that stuff all the time in order to, to get us to think outside the box. Yeah. And um and and we'd have like things we would do on our live, uh, not so much on that project, but uh, uh but 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 we would do things on our live performances, and and he would he would throw curveballs in all the time, right? Change the order of things around and uh, um change the vibe up and things like that, and and occasionally there would be these train wrecks, right? Yeah. And, and uh and but but the thing that I um I learned is that sometimes when things would break down, then we'd all be trying to find each other. And then some of the best music would happen in that whole course of trying to find each other. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was kind of, it was really kind of deep. Um, and um, I really, really, um, I really missed those days yeah. a lot. And, and, um, and also uh, it really meant a lot to me, the amount of, uh, I felt like Andrew really believed in me and I felt like he was always trying to uh, always um, encourage me. And we'd have these long conversations and, you know, most of the time we weren't even talking about music. We talk about life. We talk about, we talk about, uh, you know, we talk about life. We talk about spiritual things. We talk about business things. And, uh, but it was never like, you know, one of those things where he sit down and it's like, okay, I, I need you to play more like, fill in the blank or I need you to do more of this and more of that. But it's like, but a lot of the stuff that he would, it was the same thing with Elvin, right? With Elvin, I felt that um, uh, a lot of things would be taught without words. You know, a lot yeah. of things would be taught. Yeah. There were things that Elvin, um, Elvin would clearly, clear, clearly communicate through his drums. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then you just, if you heard it, then you went with it, and it's the same thing with with uh, with uh, with uh, with Andrew. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, yeah, but, but yeah, but it's, it's kind of like one of those things where if uh, if you, I, th- I think that's a, a, how a lot of those cats would operate. You know, yeah. it's just a certain thing that I learned a lot from those guys, and um, and. Not all of it I really know how to explain. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, not all of it I, I know how to explain. I just know that I know what to do in those situations. And I mean, I really hope I get to play some more. Uh, it's been a while since I've done something a little bit more like free, like 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 the stuff that we used to do um, in any of those groups. And uh, I'm hoping to get back to that at some point. 
Yeah. Um, and um, my, my Pilgrim's Progress Suite has certain aspects of of, of that, but uh, but uh, but I'd really love it to to get um, all the way back at some point. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Let's try it sometime, man. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be. I'd I'd like to do more of that too. You know, with my trio and just in general. You know. Yeah, it's hard. I, th- I feel like the f- more freestyle thing is kind of harder to do by yourself. I mean, it helps to have other people to play off of, you know, Yeah, having a yeah. conversation, you know, and yeah. like I was talking to my, I just did an interview with my bass player in my trio last week and we were talking about this, you know, yeah, that it's like the, that's like the sort of the pure essence of this music is when you just start playing and listening to each other. And just, yeah. Like you said, trying to find each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and if, if you really have a good foundation, in, in the music and in music in general, then then it just opens up. Like you can go all kinds of direct. I mean, that's one of the things I really dig about the group that you know, like uh, the group that had just did this project with Bill, um, that that quartet, is that every single one of those guys, um, they all have the you know, they all have a strong foundation in the tradition, um, but they all have um, they all have a um, they can go all kinds of directions, go free. Yeah various different uh styles more of a blues funk whatever it is and and also they all have something to say that's unique to them yeah. you know and and that's really where um that's really where the best music comes in and it's one of the reasons why i hire a lot of the musicians that i hire and and it's uh you know like why jamail brown has been on so many of my projects on drums and sean conley and and it's uh it's uh is to be able to, I know that I can go totally straight ahead. I can go and do something like Squatty Roo and they'll know what to do. But I can go totally open some crazy, wild, open, free stuff and they'll know what to do as well. And and and, and they'll thrive in all of those. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I feel like music is so broad. It's too broad to get limited, you know? Yeah, so I own one. I mean, I actually, I take that back. I take that back. Some people are real, real, real great experts playing into a certain bag. And I respect that. I respect that. There's some people that specialize um, and say, like, this is where I'm at. And and I'm and I'm really committed to that. Some people that really, really committed to just playing bebop or just playing old school uh, swing or just playing like uh, uh, whatever it is. I respect that. Uh, Or some people that are really into like mid 60s miles you know or whatever that's that's great i respect cats that can do that um uh i really do i mean that sincerely but i um but for me i've always just been like i just i just feel like i just whenever i start to get over here then i find myself wanting to go over there yeah yeah. Yeah. and over here and then all of a sudden i'm over here and it's like i was like into like metal and stuff when i was in high school and 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 funk and stuff like that and um and i already told you i, I used to play in a funk fusion band and yeah. and uh, that all you know all the new orleans type of music that i did down there second line music and all that i mean i miss all of it i, I want to throw it all into a pot yeah do it all that's that's me really it broadens you man it broadens your experience you know right yeah. i mean it opens you up and it helps you i think it helps you have compassion for all kind of different people too right because this is a language, like you said, that those are all like parts of the language that we're speaking, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, have to, you know, accepting every 
people that are different, you know, <laughs> that do different things and everybody's got yeah. different things they can do. And, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate this conversation and uh, I, I, I hope we'll do it some more and keep it going. I, I, I still got a couple things I want to ask you. I want to, well, I want to give you the opportunity to, to talk about, I want to ask you if there's anything that you'd like people to know about you that you don't think they would generally find out just by listening to your records and going to your website. I mean, is there anything that you're, like you mentioned your spiritual journey, I don't know if that's something you're comfortable talking about or that you want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I I say that most people that have checked out enough of my music will notice that I've got a lot of titles and stuff, these biblical uh, titles. I mean, most of my music is either, um, they're either dedications to some people. I have written a bunch of songs for my wife, for instance, but but I'd say the uh, uh, the vast bulk of songs I've written have been um, for God, uh, for biblical uh, top topics. Um, essentially, I'm a I'm a you know I've been a follower of Jesus since 1996. I gave my life to Jesus in 1996, and that's the most important aspect of my life. And it's uh, it's uh, it that's when I, uh, uh, you know, my, my relationship with God made possible through Jesus, my family, music, that's basically, that's pretty much me. And, uh, and I can't separate, I can't separate them. Um, they're all together. So I would say that that's, if that's, uh, which is why those things keep on popping up in my music because that's a, I, I can only be who I am and that's absolutely. that. I'm, so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important. I mean, everybody has to, has to have a, some kind of direction. You know what I mean? Something that's like a guiding light in your life. Right. I mean, yeah. If yeah. You don't you just, I mean, you can flounder, you know, it's easy to flounder around without having some kind of, I think we're all looking for a meaning, right? Yeah. 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 If you find that meaning for yourself, then that helps you have a direction in your life. Yeah, and then also just uh, just thinking about like, oh, this is temporary. You know, we're all we're we're all here for a certain period of time, and then after that, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's what comes after that. And so I, you know, which which I I I really look at like my whole life. I know that there are things um, there are things about my life that would separate me eternally from God if it weren't for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that would make it possible for me to be able to come into his presence. And that's, that's what I live for. That's what I live for is, is, is to basically set, celebrate, celebrate him for, for that. Um, because that's, you know, so that's, that's the essence of where I'm coming from with this. So. Cool, man. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to say or, talk about is anything um it was great the things you had to say for young musicians i appreciate that a lot and i love hearing about your experiences playing with all these great musicians i'll ask you one more thing you said you got your hero there behind you john coltrane he's one of mine too when did you first hear john coltrane and what was it if you remember well my brother turned me on to uh john coltrane i remember exactly where i was uh i was in the basement of my my parents house and it was uh monk's mood Okay. Uh, 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 train and monk yeah. uh, together, and I remember like uh, just it's like it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm just like, bam! Like wow, yeah. you know. 
And I'm thinking, I have no idea what these guys are doing. And, and it's definitely different than the classical stuff. It's definitely different than the funk stuff. But I feel like I'm there already. It's almost like, it's almost like, um, I, you know, I felt like that's home. That's yeah, home. Yeah. All this other stuff I was doing, right. that's home. And, right. and it's like, and I found like, it, it was like in this distant land. And I felt like I want to find out how to get there because that's where I belong. And then after that, I heard Trinkle Tinkle. And uh, and then after that, then um, then I started raiding my mom's uh, record collection. And the next person I heard was Sonny Stitt. Oh, and I when I heard when I heard Stitt, I was kind of like, you know, here's this guy that sounds great. No one even knows who this guy is. And I'm just like, but obviously I found out later on, he's like one of the greats. But I remember just thinking like, uh like at the time i'm thinking like no you know like here's just some random guy that no one knows who he is and he's like and he sounds great you know and um and that and it was it's actually this rare uh stiff record i think it's live and, oh man I, I can't remember you can't find it on cd i, I wish yeah. I, i'm having a mental blank but <laughs> excellent um um excellent uh, uh uh playing with or uh with a, an organ group uh right. and and playing uh two tenor with a with a, a one of the local saxophonists there but it's a very very uh live obviously a live a live performance and he was just killing and just like man yeah, right. so, he came to atlanta once when i was yeah, i was in my 20s or probably early 20s and one of my friends played drums with him and uh other local guys too i think and i just remember i got, went to hear him and and it's somebody somebody yelled out um, something like Bird or Charlie Parker or something, and he went up to the mic and he goes, "I'm stit," just like that. You know? <laughs> he was yeah. killing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, man, once again, I really appreciate you do, uh, doing this. I'm glad we got to actually meet and have a conversation like this face to face. And I hope we get to play together yeah. sometime. You know. And uh, yep. it's not that far away. I plan to come up. I want to come up and visit Donald anyway. I talked to Donald a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, I know Donald well, but uh, we've met and we had a mutual friend. I used to play with a mutual friend of uh, of ours, Samurai Celestial, in a band years ago. And, yeah. Uh, so we should, I'd love to get together and play with you sometime, man. I'd, I'd love to. Love to. Let's make it happen. Yeah, but thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I think people are really going to dig it. And uh, I'll have it. I'll get it out there in a few weeks here. You know, I'll let you know. Okay. Anything else you want to add before we before we wrap it up today? No, just no. thank you for having me. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's, thank you for doing it, man. Really, my my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for checking out Notes on Jazz. If you want to communicate with me, I offer free consultations. Just check the podcast notes for a link. You can also find a link to my website for CDs, downloads, and videos. See you next time at Notes on Jazz.